0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series in the Psalms today called, To the King. So, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 147, verses 10 to 20, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, In Praise of the Deeds of Our
1: God. We've all heard the expression, He can't see the forest for the trees. You we say that when someone becomes so involved in the details of something, they can't see the overall situation. I mean, they need to stand back, look at the big picture. They're focused on only one thing and they've failed to see the whole. They're so concerned with specifics, they can't see the problem or the solution or the, the progress that's being made or the dangers ahead. Well, you know what I mean. You know, there's another illustration. Myopia is a disease of the eyes when we see objects that are close to us quite clearly but all objects in a distance are blurred. See, spiritually, this is one of the most common diseases of all people. We're wrapped up in the immediate and we're blind to the wider purposes of God. Let's try an example. Let's say you have an important business meeting in another city and you have a flight to get there. And for several reasons, you miss your flight in a crucial business meeting. It's devastating because that kind of an error could even result in you losing your job. God, you say. Why could you not have ensured that I made that flight? And then you hear the flight crash and all on board were lost. And yet, let's pretend that you're so obsessed with missing your meeting that nothing ever registers in your brain. I know you can't conceive of such blindness. I mean, everyone would be amazed that they missed a doomed flight. They'd be thankful and overwhelmed with what has transpired. But imagine someone like that who can't see the forest for the trees. The trees are, maybe it was their secretary who messed up making arrangements. And for that, they are angry. Now, there are some of us who suffer from this malaise all the time. And what I mean is this, we're concerned with our problems, we're overwhelmed with our sorrows, we're in anguish in our pain, without any sense that there is a sovereign God who does all things both for his glory and for our long-term good. You know, Paul speaks of this thing in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, where he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, just so we don't misunderstand, I mean, Paul is not saying that our sufferings are, as some say, you know, there's nothing to them. If you look at Paul's suffering, there is nothing light about them. And furthermore, the word momentary might also be misunderstood. The sufferings of some believers have gone on for a long time. But, says Paul, in comparison to what lies ahead, this is a small matter. And furthermore, the sufferings of the moment have an eternal purpose which far outweighs the agonies of the moment. Yesterday, in our study of Psalm 147, we ended with verses 10 and 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And there's a truth here to sing about. Look, the psalmist is not saying that on an ancient battlefield, the strength of the well-trained war horse is of no consequence, or that an athletic, in-shape, and capable man of war can't do great damage to the enemy. But there is a truth, there's a grander vision that supersedes the immediate combat on the battlefield, and here it is. God favors those who hope in him. I mean, let that sink in. And this theme of the grander, deeper truths is at the heart of Psalm 147. This series, in which I will consider both Psalm 147 and Psalm 2, is entitled, To the King. It is in praise of our great king who rules over all. And the context of Psalm 147 is that Israel has just come back from her 70 years in exile in Babylon. And how could this suffering have happened? Was it that the Babylonians were just too powerful for them? No, says Psalm 147. History does not move forward by the power of a military, but by the expressed will of God. And so to a people who were aware of the sins of their forefathers, and who were aware of how helpless they must have appeared to their enemies now, this band of Israelite returning exiles needed encouragement. But the psalmist knows what they needed most was a shout of confidence to the king. They needed to look beyond the immediate forest. Jerusalem had been in ruins, with no wall to protect the returning exiles. The enemies of the Jews had been threatening them constantly. Divisions between the rich and poor among the returning exiles had at one point reached a boiling point. And of course, as we see in the book of Nehemiah, which chronicles the history of this time period, these immediate problems needed to be addressed, and they were. But it is possible to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the problems these returning exiles were facing. The problem is that they could see trees in front of them, but they might not see the forest. They saw most clearly the clouds gathered around them, threatening their existence. But they might not see the great sovereign king, the one who rules from on high, the one who orders all things, and the one who says he favors his own people. And that's why Psalm 147 is so important for believers today. All of us face things that do threaten us. Some face those who would want to destroy their reputation, and others see their own sins coming to haunt them, and still others have bills to pay, and it's causing them to lose sleep at night. The Christian teenage high school girl wants to know if her stand for sexual purity might cause ridicule and even cause her to be without friends. Don't you see, even while the threats we face may seem different from that of the returning exiles, and yet It seems to me that at many points in life, we may feel like we are undone, that we are either in danger of being completely defeated or that we are already defeated and are now living in exile or that we are coming out of exile, but we are afraid of what the future holds. And it is for those who are facing great difficulty that the latter part of Psalm 147 is so valuable. It's a cure for myopia. It's an invitation to step back from the ominous trees and see the forest and be encouraged. To the king, to the one who rules all things, give praise. So I'll start now by reading Psalm 147, verses 12 to 14. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. Now, as at the beginning of Psalm 147, we again in verse 12 are given a command, but this time it is given to all of Jerusalem, that is, to all the people who have been engaged in the project of rebuilding the walls of the ruined city after the exile. To all of you in that city, the command from God is that you praise your King Yahweh, the God who is your God, the God who exists, the one who made you his people through the covenant that he formed with you. You have a task. If you want to cure your myopia, you will need to praise God. Please notice that something is added in verse 12 that was not there previously. In verse 1, praise was commanded, as it is here in verse 12. Notice also that in verse 7, the people were told to praise God with singing. But now there's an added command. It is to do this corporately as a whole people. All of Jerusalem needed to sing together. There's something about corporate praise that's absolutely vital. God intended you to express your confidence in His care as a part of a community. That's because corporate worship inspires a greater degree of confidence in God than individual worship. We're able to see the hope in the person next to us. We're able to witness their victories. We're able to see how God has not only helped them, but all of us together. In the verses that follow, that is, in verses 12 to 14, the people are to thank God for what they've experienced together. The walls are now in place around Jerusalem. Their children are now safe from their enemies. For the first time, they're enjoying peace. The harvest has just come in, and it's been a bumper crop. Wow. Unless you hear others expressing these things, you're going to forget you know, for years, you know, in my ministry, we used to have a New Year's Eve service. And what we do is we would put microphones, they were down the aisles, and we'd invite people to step forward and they were to express to all of God's people what God had done for them in this past year. I used to love those services. It was one of my favorite times of the year. You know, at times during those services, I was stunned to hear the amazing stories you know, from the salvation of dying parents to kids whose lives were turned around, once going in a direction away from God, now redeemed and walking with Jesus. Some people would share that they'd been healed of cancer. Others had found jobs when their finances were struggling the most. Marriages were reconciled. Oh, the things that I heard at those services made me marvel at how busy God had been. And then I began to think, the God who had done so much for others, had that God forgotten me? And the answer was, no, he had not. God had also remembered me, and then it caused me to remember what God had done for me in the last year. See, corporate worship does that. It builds on the wonder that others are feeling in God, and then out of that wonder, we ourselves enter into the same wonder. Let's give ourselves to corporate praise.
0: Truth In Life Today is one of the many Bible teaching and engagement ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Our mission is simple, we teach the Bible, engaging people in its timeless truth and relevance for daily living. Connecting God's people to God's word in our world today is critical. And Truth In Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld engages timely issues of life and faith so important for God's people to discuss. Special guests each week will discuss issues of the sanctity of life, finding hope and joy in difficult circumstances, how God is working in our nation and around the world, and so much more. So join us on Truth and Life today by tuning in on Vision TV every Sunday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, or subscribing to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel, or simply visiting us at backtothebible.ca. And make sure you let us know you're watching. If you'd like to learn more or share a gift to support Truth in Life today or any of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Psalm 147, 13 and 14, after having emphatically stated that the battle is not won by the horse or the strength of the warrior... It then goes on to declare that the bars of the gates of Jerusalem were strong because it was God who had determined that they should be. The children inside the city were happy and thriving, that is, they were blessed because God had so determined that they should be. The threat of their enemies had ceased because it was God who had frustrated their plans. And the exiles had food on their tables because God had blessed the harvest and caused the wheat to grow. He had sent rain at the appropriate times, and now their tables overflowed. But it was necessary for God's people to gather together and to sing about this very thing. And as God's people sang about these things together, I can almost imagine it. They would have said, oh, yeah, that's exactly what's been happening. I I almost forgot. I was so concerned about my individual problems. I am so thankful that I remembered that my king is on my side and that he is taking care of me. But, and this is the key, but thanking God for his care in our lives isn't enough. You still haven't seen the forest if that's all you do. You have to see a greater reality. And that reality is that the God who takes care of you is powerful enough to take care of all things. And with that in mind, let's now read Psalm 147, 15 to 18. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. Ah yes, it's not just about me and my problems. There's a world out there that God not only cares for, but a world that he directs. Now several things should catch our attention as we carefully consider these words. Verse 15 says he sends out his command, and the actual Hebrew here is the word davar. And for every Hebrew, thinking of God sending out his word reminded them of the very first chapter in Genesis. When God said, let there be light, he merely had to speak. The God of the Bible is not a sweating deity. Creation is not a task that strains his resources. Rather, creation is easy for God. He merely needs to speak davar. And what he says exists. That same theme is carried out through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, Isaiah is saying that if you carefully observe nature, you will learn from it what it is like when God speaks. Rain comes down to the earth. Seeds germinate and are caused to grow. God's speech does that. When God speaks, all things that happen are caused to happen. You know, we've all heard the expression, it's just empty words. Now, says our God, that's the one thing I don't have, empty words. I speak worlds into being. I command and crops grow. I declare and nations rise and are overthrown. I say words and a virgin conceives. And so getting back to Psalm 147, verse 15, when God speaks, his word doesn't slowly progress. It runs swiftly, instantly. When he speaks, it comes into being. Look beyond our immediate problems. Look beyond the trees and see how my word accomplishes all I send it to do. And here God says, every time I command, winter comes into being. And here God mentions the snow, the frost, the ice crystals, and the cold temperatures. Now it's here that we're going to need some time to allow all this to sink in. I mean, all of us, when we think of the regular change of seasons, know that this happens because of the angle of the earth as it rotates around the sun. And if you happen to live in a cold climate like Canada, this is especially felt the further north you live, the farther away you are from the sun's rays. It gets fairly cold as Arctic air is felt pushing its way down from the north. And Christians are quite comfortable to say that it was God who set the earth in its course for all things, including the laws of nature, are his creation. But that's not how the psalm reads. Rather, it says that whenever it becomes cold, it is cold because God commanded that it should be cold. He has storehouses of snow, and he sends the snow on every single occasion. That is, it's not about the laws of nature. It is rather his meticulous sovereignty in every single moment. That whether it rains or snows or whether it is clear and warm, at each moment, this was directed by God. Each season comes into being at his command. Does that sound strange to your ears? It shouldn't. Colossians 1.17 claims that at each moment, Jesus holds the physical universe together. That is the reason why the atoms don't fly apart. It's because our God has willed that they should not. The reason why nature behaves in a predictable and orderly fashion is because an orderly God has in each moment determined that it should be so. And that's why science can exist. God, who is faithful, is faithful in his ordering of the created world. At each and every moment, he wills the orderly laws of nature. That's why Psalm 147 can speak about these things, like frost and cold and snow and ice crystals. All of them form when God speaks his word. It happens according to his command. God is not absent from creation. He is present to it at each moment. Every moment. Well, then, if God wills all things through His powerful word, is this not the forest that we so desperately need to see? I mean, how else could we gain confidence that God will oversee the strength of the gates the people of Jerusalem had built to keep their enemies out? I mean, how else will we know that our enemies won't rise up against us and drive us from the land as the Babylonians had done so many years earlier? Is it not this? that God has spoken, we are the people who are His people, made that way because God willed that we should be in covenant with Him. And so for us today who have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, is this not so with us? Don't just see the trees of your problems, look at the forest brought into being by our Savior. Now, that doesn't mean we don't work hard and pay attention to the problems we face. God had already determined when he called us to be his, through the blood of Christ, chosen before the foundation of the world, God already determined that he created his people to rule and reign over his creation. The challenges we face are a training ground helping us to govern all things, helping us to trust in him. But the problems we face must not overwhelm us, as if there is no king who rules these things. The great king who rules and who has chosen us as his people, this truth, this grand, glorious vision, gives us strength and confidence as we face our current problems. We aren't frozen in fear. We labor in confidence, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? And with all of this, we end Psalm 147 with verses 19 to 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Notice the God who spoke and the frost appeared is also the God who spoke to the people of Israel and gave them his word. And when I think of the end of Psalm 147, I, I also have to reflect on Psalm 19. You know, when I first encountered Psalm 19 so many years ago, I was told that scholars had concluded that originally that psalm had been two psalms and that at some point an editor had made them one. And that was because the first six verses speak about the heavens and the cosmos and the creation, and all that which glorifies God. And then in verse 7 to the end of the psalm, we hear of the law of the Lord, that it's perfect and sure and, and right and pure. It seemed, at least to some scholars, that the theme had switched so dramatically that it must have originally been two separate psalms. Of course, there's no manuscript evidence that Psalm 19 was ever anything but one psalm. And furthermore, as we come to the end of Psalm 147, we see that Psalm 19 and Psalm 147 have something in common. It was common as Israel worshipped that they thought about first the Word of God that created and sustained the world, and in the very next breath, they thought of the Word of God that was written in the Scriptures and that was the possession of God's people. The same Word that created Alpha Centauri and all the distant stars is the same Word recorded in the book that you hold in your hands. And this special Word is the Word that God directed to His people. And then with that reminder that when Israel is suffering from myopia, the the psalmist ends by saying, look, what you have is unique. God has not dealt that way with any other nation. You have a God who heals broken hearts, a God who gives hope when your enemy surrounds you. Your sins are forgiven. God is for you. Rejoice to the King.
0: John, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, sometimes we can overlook that God's hand is in everything, every moment of every day, every portion of nature, everything that takes place. So if certainly he can do all those things, certainly he cares for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to think, at every sunrise in the morning, to actually say that sun rose because God sent his word and commanded the sun to rise, it would not have risen had God decided at this moment he would not make it do so. Just because it's done so for however many years it's done so uh, doesn't mean that it won't do so tomorrow. I mean, God gives the Word, and He regularly cares for all of nature, so I know He cares for me. So, you know, Ben, I I think we, in our worship, should be thinking about these things so that we are encouraged and not discouraged so that we see His hand in all things. Thanks so much, John.
0: And remember to join us again tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible.
1: From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada-Southern Caribbean cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining me, Dr. John laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and now confirmed special friends and musicians, Shane and Angela Wee. I guarantee you, you'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, you'll laugh and be encouraged, you'll enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. Come on your own or with a family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for that occasion. I can't wait to see you there. Check it out at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.